This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media businesses matters to people who love media. I'm Amanda Lotz. And I'm Alex Sentner. In this week's episode, we continue our local media series with a conversation with Evan Smith. Evan is the CEO and co-founder of the Texas Tribune, a digital-only, not-profit news organization that serves the state of Texas. He's here to talk about his publication's different kind of business model for a local news organization. Evan, welcome to Media Business Matters. Thanks very much. Evan, to start out, can you talk to us about whether you consider the Texas Tribune to be local media? What is the constituency that you primarily aim to serve? Well, it has Texas in the name, so you can imagine that Texas is in our gaze or is is part of our focus. And indeed, we do consider ourselves very proudly to be part of the local media ecosystem. But one thing you need to know is that Texas is not like other places in the sense that Texas is disproportionately influential in a national conversation about public policy and politics. If something happens in Texas because of Texas's size and because of Texas's influence, it reverberates around the country. So while we may be technically local, we may be technically writing about Texas, existentially we really are a national publication because there are a lot more people who care about what we report on than just those people in Texas. The second thing I'd observe is that the media business has really changed. We've moved to a borderless universe. What happens in one part of the country is of interest in another part of the country just because, by definition, all media has a larger constituency than just uh, those people immediately in front of it. I don't take the position ever that our audience is just Texas because I know that uh, based on nine years of experience now, people in California, New York, Washington, and other places are going to be reading what we do. Um, We write for a Texas audience. We write with a Texas sensibility. We write about things that are principally of interest to Texas, but honestly, we know that uh, the audience is much larger than that. The Texas Tribune is a not-profit, but our listeners might be interested in what commercial publication the Texas Tribune is most like in terms of the size of its journalistic force and readership, if that, quite frankly, that's even a valid question at all. Well, you know, we don't have any competitors. We only have current and future collaborators. Let me say that first of all. Thinking about us in comparison to other news organizations is in some ways the old way of thinking about the media business. So we don't look to other news organizations for profit ones and say, well, we're like them or they're like us or we compete with them. We are part of a universe of nonprofit news organizations that are public interest-based, are mission-driven, and we view our missions and our editorial orientation as about informing and educating the public, about engaging people, creating a higher level of civic engagement, motivating civic participation, very important to say without regard to what that participation means. We're not pushing people to vote a certain way or for certain candidates. We'd love people to take control of their lives by being more active and and thoughtful and productive citizens. We're part of a universe of news organizations, some local and some national, that essentially are all, we we describe ourselves in some ways as for purpose rather than for profit. And our purpose is to make our communities healthier by making them smarter, better informed, better engaged, and by holding people in power and institutions accountable on behalf of the broad swath of the public. So ProPublica is a frequent collaborator of ours, partner of ours. We think of ourselves in the same category as ProPublica. The Marshall Project, which is a smaller national nonprofit news organization focused on issues of criminal justice. The Center for Public Integrity would be another nonprofit news organization. They do watchdog reporting on campaign finance issues and elections. 
reveal from the Center for uh, Investigative Reporting in California, which is primarily a podcast version of accountability work similar to the kind that, that we do. All these folks we think of as, as comparable to us, but, you know, they're all nonprofits. There are good folks doing accountability reporting in the for-profit side. I would say most importantly and especially and most visibly the New York Times and the Washington Post right now are really knocking the cover off the wall and doing that kind of work. But we probably feel more at home in the universe of, of other public interest-oriented, civic-minded, mission-focused nonprofits. You said something interesting in there that sticks out to, I know, both me and Amanda. We've interviewed other not-profits in different forms of media. And one person who actually said something very similar to you, Russ Collins, who runs the Michigan Theater, which is a not-profit art house theater here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mission-driven. Yes, (laughs) community-based, mission-driven was the line that he used to refer to... Uh, the Michigan. So it, it's interesting that they use that same phrase for kind of a similar mission for a similar type of business. Well, or I would say a very different media in many ways yeah. in terms of the difference between him. You know. Well, you know, look, at, we have a very clearly stated mission that has not changed from the very first day that we've been in business. And it talks about being nonprofit and nonpartisan. It talks about informing and educating and engaging with Texans on matters of politics, public policy, and state government. We're very clear in delineating what we do and what we don't do. That mission has been our North Star for nine years. No one who comes to work here in a general sense or on any given day specifically wonders what they're here to do. When you know what you are and you know what you're not, it's easier. It's like not lying so you don't have to remember the lies you told. The people who come to this office (laughs) understand. They understand what they're here to do. They understand where the guardrails are. They know what a story is or is not for the Texas Tribune. And so we're all tacking in the same direction. I think when you live underneath a mission, when that mission is your North Star, it really does clarify in everyone's minds what the job you're there to do is. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great point because I think that's long been the issue of commercial media that is also trying to provide news is that that mission often gets blurry when you're trying to you know, serve an advertising master as well as maybe follow through on those same sort of journalistic principles. Amanda, one fundamental difference between the for-profit and the non-profit media businesses is that the for-profit guys ultimately do have to return a profit. They have to make a return on an investment. And by doing that, they're often led down a dangerous path, and that is having to do things for commercial rather than editorial reasons. I'm not judging, I'm acknowledging that that is a feature in a lot of for-profit newsrooms and in a lot of for-profit media organizations. They do what they need to do to stay in business. They do what they need to do to make the economics of it work. Sometimes that causes them inevitably to do things that those of us out here with the luxury of not having to be concerned with that view as um, inappropriate, untoward. I think we all have examples of that that we can point to. We are not in the business of reselling eyeballs to advertisers. We are not in a business that is transactional in nature. We can always make the right decision at the right moment for the right reasons. We have enormous audience and audience growth at the Texas Tribune. We have generated enormous revenue from individual donors, from foundation supporters, and from corporate sponsors that have enabled the work of our newsroom. We have seen enormous growth in the size of our operation. Our ambitions are never today where they're going to be tomorrow. Our ambitions are always growing. We see enormous opportunity in the fast-growing and dynamically changing population of Texas. But we get to do this work and serve those folks 
the right way without having to worry about the commercial imperative or the boot heel down on our necks that some others, unfortunately, do not have that luxury of, of, of not paying attention to. We've talked around this, but let's actually get a definitive statement down on this. So for listeners who are not familiar with the Tribune, how does your business model work? We raise money every year from individuals, foundations, and corporations. The individuals are a mix of wealthy individuals and regular folks. Uh, The individuals support us at a high level in some cases. Regular folks might come through the door as one-time donors or as members, and they may give us as little as $10 or $35 or $60 a year. We have more millionaires and billionaires in Texas than any other state. It is what the military would call a target-rich environment for fundraising work like this. Um, If you're going to fund your operation in part through the major gift door, it helps to have people with the capacity to make major gifts, and we certainly have those in Texas. And I should say, by the way, that many of the people who support us are also political donors. They're people who care about this stuff, who play in this space already. We have the most Republican Republicans and the most Democratic Democrats at a high level supporting us side by side. Often we're the only thing that they agree on, the value of our work. And that is a testament, I think, to how nonpartisan our work has been over the years, because otherwise you would not be getting both Republicans and Democrats supporting you. Among the regular folks, we have more than 4,000 members, people who support us on an annual basis, many of them recurring year over year. Many of them are motivated to support us by the simple fact that they believe in our mission, but others of them have particular issues that they're following or that they care about, and they want to support our work specifically because they know that we're really the only ones or among the only ones devoting uh, resources to reporting on that particular subject, whether it's public education, immigration, health care, or what have you. We have a mix of foundations that support us, state and local foundations, but also national and international foundations. For a long time, the Gates Foundation was our largest annual individual donor. The Ford Foundation also supports us at a very high level. The Knight Foundation over time, over the nine years we've been doing this, is our largest institutional supporter in total. But we enjoy support from a whole host of other national foundations as well, as I said, Texas foundations, the very best of the best, and some and some local foundations as well. And then on the corporate side, Texas has, at least until recently had, I, can say, I can't say that that's the case right now, I think it was number three among the states in the headquarters of Fortune 500 companies and number one in the headquarters of Fortune 1000 companies, or at least that was the case until recently. Um, we have many Fortune 500, Fortune 100 global behemoths here, and they too support our work as corporate underwriters, much in the way that they might underwrite Morning Edition on NPR or Downton Abbey or the News Hour on, on PBS. So, so it's a mix of individuals, foundations, and corporations. As of last week, we have passed $55 million generated from those sources of revenue in total since we launched in November of 2009. This year, we'll raise almost $9 million and we'll spend about $8.6, $8.7 million on the work that we do. And most of that expense is to pay reporters and to buy technology. People, when they donate to a 501c3, are paying for program, not overhead. And in our case, program is journalism, and that means paying for journalists and paying for the technology that they use to do their important work. And it's clear that the Texas Tribune is a success story, but I wonder... What parts of it do you think are reproducible? You've highlighted a number of things that are characteristic of of Texas, given whether it's the wealth that you have there to draw from or the scale of the state and its importance. Do you think that what you're doing can be done elsewhere? Well, you know, I believe that there are lessons to be taken from the work we've done. By the way, I would 
say we're succeeding that we haven't succeeded. I think we're continuing to figure this out. We know quite a bit more today than we did nine years ago. But I think there are still many aspects of this evolving business model and economic model and distribution model that we're getting comfortable with. I think we're learning every year about the work that we do and the, and the kind of organization we are. And I think as we learn, we're developing a, a curriculum, as it were, of best practices for nonprofit news. And indeed, we have any number of organizations that are intending to start up or ones that have just started up that want to get a sense of how we are doing it and where we have been able to succeed at this point. And so they come through our offices and they spend time with our different department heads and management team, and they try to take back with them the things that work for them. This is important. We're not an in-and-out burger. We're not franchising the restaurant when people go back home and they set up their own nonprofit news organizations. If you've seen one nonprofit news organization, you've seen one nonprofit news organization. They're all different. <laughs> every market is different. And what every market needs is different. And therefore, we make no assumptions that everything that we're doing is applicable every other place. Aspects of it may be successful or applicable in other places, but not the entire thing. So it really depends on a, on a case-by-case basis, Amanda, about what's exportable or what is replicable. The events model, which we are very proud to be I think a leader on nationally, we've been doing this since the very beginning, we do editorial events, elected officials and other newsmakers on stage in front of an audience, open to the public, free to attend, live streamed. Well, I typically say we do more than 50 events a year, but we actually did more than 60 last year. And there's quite a bit of revenue that we generate through the sponsorship of those events. But the reality is that the work we do at those events produces content. It makes news as much as it generates revenue, and by the way, it also gets our name out there all over the state of Texas, which is a big state. Every time we take an event to a part of the state, all the news organizations in that community write about us. So it publicizes the fact that there is a Texas Tribune people don't know. We generate membership typically as a result of being in those places. I mean, the events model, I think, is indeed something that is potentially exportable depending upon the stomach of the people running an organization to to put one into place as part of the menu of things that they offer. Obviously, the kind of journalism we do is not all that unfamiliar to people who've been in the news business. We do daily reporting, beat reporting, breaking news reporting, political reporting, accountability reporting, and investigative reporting. That's the menu. Well, news organizations do that kind of stuff all the time. We just happen to do it online. And we happen to distribute it through a variety of channels that maybe some news organizations don't necessarily take advantage of. You know, even when we started in 2009, data journalism, as far as it goes, was a little bit of a boutique vertical. And now everybody does that sort of data-enabled journalism to the point that we almost no longer need the modifier data, that we can just call it journalism. So there are aspects of what we do, sure, that I think are exportable or replicable, but I'm not sure that what we figured out here is anything more than just what works for us. Yeah, one of the things that stuck out to me reading how you describe yourself online is um, how you guys at the Texas Tribune have the biggest statehouse bureau in the U.S. Right, that's Um, according to the Pew Research Center. I think that's for the fifth straight year. Wow. It's amazing to me because it contrasts with cuts in state government coverage at other local news organizations. So this leads me into a question. How does the Tribune prioritize its coverage? How do you prioritize, you know, data stories and statehouse reporting? And what's important to you as a news organization to cover? I think what's important to us is holding people in power and institutions accountable. 
you know, there's a lot of discussion these days about what journalism is and what journalism is not. I have a son who's a high school senior to come. He's rising senior, rising senior high school. And he's considering a, a sort of a type of journalism is, is something he's interested in pursuing as an academic. So he's looking at colleges that offered the kind of journalism uh, education that he's interested in. And he asked me one night not long ago uh, what journalism is, kind of an existential question, a little bit deeper than I expected from him over dinner. And I said to him, journalism is the act of searching for the truth and telling people what you found. Sometimes you tell them the truth, and sometimes you tell them that you search for the truth, but you couldn't find it. And so what you tell them is about the journey, not the destination, because you never actually got there. That, at the end of the day, is what we do. It's not a cop-out answer, I hope, to say that our job is to tell people the truth. These days, more than ever, when there's incoming from all sides about the quality and the motives of the work we do, I think we have to remind people that at the end of the day, we're fact-finders. We're truth-tellers. The kind of work that we do is simply illuminating for the people of this state and anybody else who wants to read it the reality of what's going on here on things like public education and health care, transportation and criminal justice, energy and the environment, immigration, ethics. We don't prioritize any one thing at any one time any more than any other except as, as news events and circumstances warrant. Obviously, at election time, we prioritize coverage of campaign candidates. During a legislative session, we obviously prioritize the issues that are at the top of the agenda or are being debated on a given day. But I think across the board, it's all important and worthy and gets equal billing and equal hierarchy. A great part of the conversation often on Media Business Matters, we're focused more on talking about how things like business model, regulation, or technology contributes to making certain pieces or certain kinds of content possible, but uh, sort of that, that big existential overview of why certain things appear or don't appear, uh, that's great. Yeah, we're pretty clear-eyed about what we do. I like to be optimistic, but a question that's coming to mind, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit, you know, as kind of local media is facing a lot of challenges, and it's kind of, there's kind of a bleak feeling around it at the moment. My last question for you is, is there hope in the bleakness of the story of local media? And, and what gives you hope? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never been more optimistic about the state of the local media ecosystem than, than I am now. And I'm optimistic for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think there's a lot of focus on the importance of local reporting and holding people accountable. An awareness of the problem to be solved is the first step. It's not the only step. But the fact that people are talking about it or aware of it and understand the importance of it, to me, gives me hope that there's a solution around the corner. The second thing is I do believe that innovation is more possible than ever today in the economic model of these organizations. And I think that we are on a long list of organizations that have demonstrated you don't have to do things the way they've always been done to succeed. And I think risk aversion is the thing that has prevented a lot of people from doing this work previously. And the more that these organizations begin to succeed, I think that risk aversion diminishes to the point that it's no longer a factor. I think the third thing is that technology now has made it possible for people to do things that were never even remotely imaginable before. And the result of that is that people with a good idea and not very much money have the capacity to create something new from scratch that can get at solving the problem of local journalism and civic engagement in a way that it used to take years to build before. You used to have to be a massive institution with all these people and all this money. And actually, it's a lot more of a DIY world now than it ever was. 
and technology access and availability is a large measure of that. And I think that's a, that's a very hopeful thing. But I'll tell you honestly, as I look at it in our newsroom, the most optimistic feeling I have is when I look at these young journalists, kids in college and just out who are coming up, who want to do the kind of work that I did and that my generation of journalists did back years ago before the media business began to collapse on itself. They're serious of purpose. They believe in being down the middle. They don't have a bias when they come to work every day. They haven't, they don't have to unlearn bad habits. They understand that their job is to, is to report the truth and report facts and to hold people in power and institutions accountable. And they're the ones who really are the rocket boosters that power organizations like this. And they're the ones who will take the baton from us old guys. If I'm going to be optimistic about the future, it's going to really begin with who's the future. And they're the future. And they get it. And that makes me feel very good about where we're headed. All right. Well, Evan Smith, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. All right, you guys. Thanks very much. And that's it for this edition of Media Business Matters. If you want to learn more about Media Business Matters, you can go to amandalots.com and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. If you want new episodes delivered to your feed as soon as they're available, including the rest of our local media series, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. And if you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. It will help new listeners find the show. You can find Amanda on Twitter at DrTVLotz, that's D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z. Evan Smith is on Twitter at Evan A. Smith, and I'm at Alex Entner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back soon with the next entry in our local media series.